I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and you're listening to Writers on Writing. You may also be watching as we are doing this show with audio and video. My YouTube channel is Barbara DeMarco Barrett, should you want to watch this online. And there are other interviews there that you might like. I should also say that we're just about at the thousand show mark. And if you've been listening for a while and have gleaned anything helpful, really, in your writing, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com writers on writing and consider becoming a patron. Patron, <laughs> any amount helps us to continue doing what we're doing. My guest today is Maggie Ginsberg. She's a senior editor at Mad Madison Magazine in Wisconsin and a longtime freelance writer for magazines and newspapers. Her long form journalism has garnered recognition from press clubs and professional organizations, including the American Society of Journalists and Authors Excellence in Reporting Award, still true, published by the University of Wisconsin Press in September is her debut novel. I'm so happy to talk with you, Maggie. I'm so happy to be here. 1,000 shows? Yeah, 1,000 shows since 1998. Congratulations. We, and then in 2005, when podcasting began, we began podcasting as well. So uh, but that's enough about me. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about you the whole time. I want to talk about this book. Um, Let's begin as we usually do with you talking about how Still True came about. It came about in um, 2017. Actually, I saw the character of Lib Hansen first. So she sort of appeared in my mind um, sitting at a farmhouse table in Driftless, Wisconsin. And I could see her silver hair and I could see that she was in this house all by herself and that she was fiercely protective of her privacy and her independence, but that she was also married. And I wondered how that was working, um, who that was and who would be um, married to her and what that all meant. And so I just started to think about her and the other characters started to materialize from there um, so that this book centers around uh, a couple who've been married just about 30 years, but have never lived together. They live in separate houses, about two miles apart in tiny fictional Anthem, Wisconsin. And then their lives intersect with another younger couple in town and who have a 10 year old boy named Charlie. And the book is told from the rotating point of view of three characters. Um, and one of them is Charlie's mom, Claire Taylor, who's in her mid thirties and sort of unhappily married and floundering a bit and drinking too much. Um, and that's how it, Began. You know, I love that you have written these older characters um, who are um, sensual and beautiful. Usually older characters in fiction um, are stereotyped as kind of dull and lunky and um, certainly not sensual beings. And I'm curious where, where the characters of Lib and Jack came from. Um, were they based on anyone? They weren't based on anyone, but I will say that I, I'm in a second marriage and my husband and I have never lived together. So um, they are in their late 50s, early 60s. Actually, Lib was a bit older than that when, um, when we first started out, but the story math didn't work out and I needed to make her a little bit younger at, at some point. But I wasn't, so I wasn't thinking about my husband and I, but I was thinking about how many questions we get about our situation and about how in my mind, it's actually in many ways sort of easier to not live with someone. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about that with roommates. Um, everybody knows it's not necessarily easy to live with someone, but we don't always talk about it with, with um, married partners. And so I just wanted to see if you don't have those things to fight about that the rest of us have, you know, of um, the, the ways we need to compromise to live with another person, it would seem to me they had a pretty good arrangement. Um, and so what would come between them? And um, I knew that they had heat. That was really important to me. It was obvious to me that they had this heat and I wanted to write that true. Um, and it needed, whatever came between them needed to be much bigger uh, that, you know, it needed to be something that would disrupt their lives 30 years into it. Um, 
And that was interesting to me too, that held my attention, that sort of central story question of what makes a partnership, what makes a marriage, um, and can someone like Lib have uh, true independence and true intimacy at the same time? That's so interesting. I love that they live apart. It seems like a great way to keep a relationship alive. <laughs> yes, our, my husband and I, uh, we started, we have very different reasons from, from Liv and Jack, and we're about an hour apart, and it was a logistical decision, but certainly over the last 10 years that we've, we've been doing it this way, um, we have, have found there are some other benefits too, you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's nice. Um, I've, I've been, I've had a, a more traditional living situation in a previous marriage, and that didn't, that didn't guarantee my marriage. Sharing a household, sharing an address didn't, didn't guarantee my marriage, and so, um, these are the things I think about, and, and these are the things that um, I'm not sure Lib and Jack think about, but certainly the people around them do, particularly mm -hmm. the character of Claire. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned um, the multiple point of view um, characters, and and I was trying to think of whether there would have been a way to go that deeply into each character without doing that. And it doesn't seem that there would have been. I mean, it makes sense that you did that, but I'm curious in coming up on that, how you decided you needed multiple point of view characters. That's a really interesting question. I never, I don't remember ever making a conscious decision to have multiple point of view characters. I just sat down to write and I wrote chronologically. And looking back on it, I think I think one of the things that kept me from writing fiction for a long time, because I've been a nonfiction writer all of my career, I have never written any other fiction. Um, and I think one of the main things that kept me from that is I thought that you needed to have this really sort of wondrous imagination. Um, and you just needed to be able to make up, you, you, just, you just had one of these brains where there were just story ideas overflowing at all times and you needed to be able to make all kinds of things up. And I didn't think that that's the kind of brain that I had. Um, but now looking back, I think that I maybe approached the characters and the story like I do my journalism. So I, I never felt that I was making anything up about them or deciding who was going to be talking or telling what. Um, I think it was more like I was getting to know them like I would a story. And in a story, you need multiple sources. Um, I would never be able to write a write an article around one source, even a profile, you're interviewing other people. Um, and so I think it just sort of naturally happened that way as I was investigating who each of these characters was and what they were doing there in this place. Um, I was just trying to get to know them and, and have them tell me who they were. So how much did you know before you started? I'm always curious about that. You know, it's like certain writers will do biographies of characters and others it's really a discovery process as you go the character reveals themselves what well, what happened for you with Lib and Jack especially but Claire as well well and I believe Mark is the son that shows up um, Matt. Matt yes Matt Matthew. um yes I would say it was kind of both I did have some some plot points that I was writing toward, that I knew I was writing toward based on, actually my my youngest daughter was, I think 13 at the time, 12 or 13. And we had this little plot party in the living room, um, <laughs> kind of going back and forth of what if this and what if that? And so she she uh, has been claiming a lot of credit for this, for this book lately. She's almost 18 now, so she's um, letting everybody know that she had a heavy <laughs> hand in this, in this story. Um, Actually, it's it's sweet. She would I would read her pages at night before bed, and in the morning she would sometimes put little post its on the manuscript and mm -hmm. ideas she had. But so is I, she um, I think she is. I think she's still discovering it. I don't think she thinks she is, although um, she's in her senior year of high school and she has started to get a little bit more into creative writing and kind of kind of discovering that. But it took me a very long time. Um, so we'll see. Um, so I think I, I kind of knew some things that made sense, but where there was a lot of discovery for me was in the emotional arcs of each character. And that was what, um, what kept me interested. I, I, uh, I was relying on some story math and the three act structure and, and, you know, things that far smarter writers have proven is, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And, um, 
So I was, you know, trusting in some of that scaffolding, uh, but I left a lot of room for where each of these people needed to go and how they were going to get there together or in spite of each other. And that was where a lot of plot came from um, as they were sort of clashing at, at any given moment. So you mentioned knowing certain plot points along the way. Did, did you, are you a plotter? Are you a, an outliner and plotter? I, I think so. I think I am. I think that's another thing that freed me up to finally, you know, trust that I could attempt fiction. Uh, I've, I find a lot of comfort in the structure and the rules of journalism. Um, and once I sort of understood that actually you can apply a lot of those same rules and structures to, to fiction, that was, um, I was able to sort of relax into it then and trust and kind of take that leap of faith that I could, that I could give that a try. Um, and so I don't know, I wouldn't say that I necessarily outlined anything, but I, I actually had, um, I kind of created this chart uh, mm -hmm. that I, that of, I don't know if I can explain this succinctly, but I basically took each character and lined them up down the left side of the chart and I put it against the three act structure and mm -hmm. I traced each character's arc. Um, and so, and in very simplistic terms, I mean, very simplistic. I was just writing in this chart, you know, Jack loves Liv, and then maybe at the midpoint reversal, Jack's mad at Liv, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I knew that each character had four or five ways that they were changing over the course of the story. Um, and I wanted to see how they were changing against each other. And so I had that chart next to me the whole time where I could see at any given point in the story, who was where emotionally. Mm -hmm. um, which led to a lot of a lot of thought points. Again, not an outline, but definitely kind of a roadmap. And then I also had a you know a notebook that I was keeping and a map that I was drawing of this fictional place that I kind of knew where everybody was. And um, so not a not an outline, but I always felt like I kind of knew the night before where I wanted to start in the morning. Hmm. And and um, would you did you write still true? Um linearly and and bring in you know the characters as they needed to come in or did you write each of their their um stories and then merge all of them no the first thing i, I wrote linear, linearly um i actually wrote the first draft um very quickly um sort of from start to finish very quickly and um what's quickly uh, it was, I was taking a course, I was taking a four month course and I was, I did it within that, within wow. that time, um, and actually got a, a, a wonderful agent right away. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't anyone tell me it was so easy to write a book? Um, that was in 2017. So obviously <laughs> it didn't exactly go as quickly as I thought they maybe uh, were about to. Um, what's interesting is that the version of the book that exists today is it's a far, far, far better book for every dead end and rejection that I, that I got. Um, but it, but the story is essentially the same from, from start to finish. Uh, what has changed was just, I've been saying I wrote it linear, linearly, um, and the story is the, it's the same length, it's the same story, but it. I revised in 3D, if, if, if that makes sense. So it got deeper and it got more layered um, and it's just made more sense with every revision. And I revised for um, a couple of years. Um, How many revisions? I'm sorry? How many revisions? Oh, I don't know that I could ever <laughs> count it, honestly. Um, and sometimes I would try something totally different. You know, the, uh, a New York editor would say that it was just just beautiful, but too quiet. And then so I would, you know, come up with some really loud plot point that I could, you know, layer in and my agent would say, no, let's take, let's take that out. You know, sometimes just figuring out how not to be swayed back and forth all the time by that sort of feedback and to really go back to finding that, that grounded place that I started from, um, you know, was what kept me going even when I wasn't sure it would ever, ever go anywhere. Right. So how many words is it? How many words is still true? 
I think it ended up maybe 87,000 or so. I think mm -hmm. it's, it's about 280 pages in, in final form. Um, so then, um, okay. So then you, you had an agent through this workshop and then what happened with that? Um, she, she was pretty conservative with some, some of her, um, small rounds and, and she'd pull back and a lot of time went by. Um, and then, and then it's just, she was not able, long story short, she was not able to sell it. And it, I think was sitting for a while. Um, and then in lockdown, I pulled it out of the drawer myself and submitted it unagented to the University of Wisconsin Press, which was actually a another lengthy and surprisingly rigorous um, process, submission process that included, you know, external peer review and, and <laughs> vote and all of these things. Um, and then they published so few novels a year that when they, I submitted it in June of 2020, they offered the contract in January, 2021, and their first open fiction slot was September, 2022. So um, that was a long time. And we didn't even go into editing the editing process there until um, August of 2021, um, and then we did some more some more revisions. And um, so I I could not even begin to tell you how many there were, but I I honestly can say I'm grateful for every revision. <laughs> right. Yeah, I am. Did you ever the book that I that I wrote in that um, in that class five years ago? You know, I'm curious um, about revision because I'm in the process of revising something and and what I'm doing is I am, you know, I got out the typewriter, as you can see, and what I'm doing is retyping the book. You know, I made lots of edits. And so now I'm like changing the tools because it's all on computer and I'm taking the printout and I'm retyping it and then putting the edits and hope to, I don't know if I'll keep going that way because it's very slow. And it may be, I just do that for scenes that are difficult and then, you know, get it to a typist who will put it back on the computer. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that, but the reason I'm doing that is just to change the way it looks and feels, you know, like revision to revision. Sometimes we go into the, onto the computer and just make edits and we don't really see how the book is working anymore. So I wondered if you had any odd ways of revising or if you did anything like read the whole thing aloud or have someone read it to you or have the computer read it to you or what you did to be able to get that distance so that you could actually see it at some point, maybe not every revision, but maybe at some point. That's really interesting. There's a there's another Madison author, Susanna Daniel, who advises that in her revisionist, just go back to the beginning and make yourself retype every word. And it's interesting too that I it looks so different even from a Scrivener, mm -hmm. Scrivener doc to a Word doc, or sending it to my iPad, or I did try sometimes sending it to my e-reader and just you know looking at it in a different way. I think for me it wasn't so much that type of revision as um as story problem solving the revision that i was doing was typically okay this this just isn't quite enough or there's something missing here um for example one of the key characteristics of claire taylor is that she has this drinking problem well in the first many many drafts long after my agent had it out on submission she wasn't a drinker so my agent called one day, maybe <laughs> six months into this, and was like, you know, all of these characters feel really fully formed to me, but there's something missing about Claire, and I can't put my finger on what it is. Um, and so it was things like that, where I would go back, maybe show a few early readers, um, let them know what the problem was, and then I would step away from it. And, um, you know, your subconscious never comes when called. So I, you kind of find ways to trick it. And so I would go and, um, you know, go for a run or just go into the woods and kind of let the universe know what, what the problem was mm -hmm. and then just take my mind off it and see what came. Um, in the case of Claire Taylor, I, um, I was reading back through her behavior, you know, everything that she was doing in the book and, I, I realized 
oh, she's, she's probably an alcoholic. <laughs> and it felt so obvious because I huh. personally um, quit drinking in, in 2010. And uh, boy, I think I just did not want to see that in her, um, knowing what it would mean for me to sit down and add that layer in to her character. But I did, and it didn't change a thing about her her story. It didn't change anything about her arc in that chart mm. that I made. It just made her make a lot more sense. Um, and it was tough to write about that. Um, but it definitely, it definitely made her character richer and um, filled out the rest of the story in, in a lot of ways. Do you, are you, is, is Claire the one you're closest to because of that? Right don't want to be I don't, <laughs> um it's an interesting question I think that there are so one of my best friends read this uh read you know the first few drafts actually and she called and she said first of all I feel like I just read something really private <laughs> and then she said and I know that I feel like you are none of these characters and all of these characters. Um, and I think that's probably pretty accurate. I think I feel close to all of them in, in various ways. And I think a lot of what I was doing as a writer was just sort of, you know, testing things out through each of them, taking mm -hmm. risks through each of them, um, trying to spend a lot of time in the questions. Um, trying to maybe avoid answers. I, I don't know, um, but just really kind of swim around in that without, um, you know, having to actually go out and, and do the terrible things that they're all doing. Hmm. You know, I have to say something about the cover. Now I have the art, so I don't, I don't know what it looks like on final, but um, or on the hard copy, but I love this cover so much. It could be a painting all, all on its own. Maybe it is a painting. That's so that I, I, oh, so I think it's technically a photograph. Um, hmm. There is a story behind the cover. The cover, uh, the artist is Jamie Hyden, and she is also a Wisconsin, Driftless Wisconsin artist and uh, photographer. She I discovered her work many, many years ago um, after I had just gotten divorced and I only had my kids, my two girls, half the time. And I was living in this crappy little apartment, um, you know, and they were in bunk beds and I was missing them. And um, I was wandering an art gallery on one of the days I didn't have them. And I found this print, this Jamie Hyden print, and it was a, a woman and two girls jumping on a trampoline in the prairie. And I bought it and I framed it and I hung it on the wall of my crappy little kitchen. Um, and I looked at it every single day, you know, just like, I don't know what I was looking for, but it, it just gave me something. And that was long before I knew I would write a book. So fast forward um, to the marketing meetings with, with um, the University of Wisconsin Press. And you know that authors don't have a whole lot of say in their covers at all, but they did ask me if I had any favorite artists or um, if I had any examples of book covers that I liked. And so I sent them a few things, including Jamie's work. Uh, and it turned out that this was an existing piece. She already had this. Um, it's an image um, for people listening on the radio. It's an image of two houses that are um, connected by a wire full of birds. And they're sort of sitting on these hills that look like a heart. Um, and it's just so absolutely perfect for the story that everybody assumes that it was, it was commissioned, but it was actually licensed, um, because it already existed. And it, so it has this double meaning for me. That's just really, I just sort of gasped when I saw it. I was so happy. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's really a gorgeous cover. Uh, all of the design, the, the, uh, <clears throat> title, the font of the title, it, it's all really pretty perfect. Yes, Jordan Wanamacher is the designer. And yes, they just, they really put out a beautiful book. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about, um, you said this is your first fiction. Mm -hmm. And yet there's so much sort of lyrical writing and poetry and, 
And some of the images there early on, there's an image of um, Lib running through the rain that mm-hmm. Claire, Claire sees this woman running down the street and she, it's almost a hallucination. She's so like pristine, beautiful. Um, I guess a couple of things like what, how do you do that? First of all, like, it, you know, your first fiction and yet it's, you know, it, the fiction is worked over and looks, you know, like you've had a lot of short stories published, maybe in, you've written a couple other novels, trying to find your voice and you found it in this. So maybe talk about the craft a little bit and, and like that line specifically, that image, like, is that, was that a hard time? Did that take a long time coming? Did it just come out? Do you have these, these points where you just, um, you're in a flow and things are happening for you? And is any of it related to journalism or what, the way you get into that head where you, you know, you're on deadline, you have to get something done and it happens? Uh, well, thank you. That's, um, the complicated question. Well, that's incredibly flattering. Um, thank you. Uh, gosh, I'm not sure how to answer it. I do think that, um, I do think that all these years of writing for deadline has sort of made me a little bit of a perfectionist, which can be really difficult. I'm finding in the in my second work of progress that, I, that I, the second book that I'm working on, um, I have a hard time moving forward if the if the previous line isn't isn't just right. And for whatever reason, that didn't get in my way. This first one, um, it's getting in my way. This second one, but I do think there is something that happens for me that's just um, where I'm just really trying to be efficient with my with my time and my writing. Um, and I don't know, I, I mean, I just, I'm a visual person. Um, I also have a lot of interiority, like I spend a lot of time in my head, uh, a lot of time, um, uh, and then my characters end up doing that too, and I have to dial that back some, but I, I would just say that I love reading poetry, I love reading novels, um, mm-hmm. even though this was you know, my first attempt at it, I have been reading, you know, just amazing authors um, all of my life. You know, my earliest memories involve involve reading novels specifically. So um, I just love to find those those novels that that make me see something and feel something and um, and then, yeah, try to try it, try it out myself. But I also think the journalism I've done is not, it hasn't necessarily been the the who, what, where, when, why stuff. It's been more of the um, creative narrative nonfiction. I think I was always drawn to that, you know, those, those um, magazine articles that make you feel like you're reading a, you know, thriller or, or a memoir Mm -hmm. or something. Um, You know, that's just the kind of writing that I love. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about the very beginning of the book. I, you're a longtime listener of the show. I know you are. And you're also a patron on Patreon, which I'm going to tell you, I think I was the first patron. On you Patreon. probably were. You, you probably, know what? It's that line where you say, if you have ever gotten anything out of this show, and I immediately was like, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't discover the show until 2017, but when I, when I wrote this novel and then wanted to distract myself from the brutal submission process by just like absorbing everything I could about this world that I now felt, I unfortunately just fell head over heels in love with, with fiction. Um, and so I found your show and I, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating that I haven't missed an, an episode since 2017, plus have gone into the archives. So, I mean, um, if, if any, if anyone has gotten anything out of this show, and if I say anything intelligent in this interview, I probably heard it on this show from one of the other writers. That you I don't think so. And if you have ever seen me running down the trail, talking to myself or mowing the lawn, talking to myself or driving, talking to myself, I am interviewing myself. On, on writing. I, I, I promise that's true. So I'm sorry I had to say all that. You, you well, have- <laughs> thank you. 
Thank you so much, actually. No, you were the first. You were the first. Um, and which is interesting, too, because then your book arrived at some point later, much later, mm. but you never wrote to me about it. And mm. I thought that was very cool. And I kept looking at the book. And then one day I picked it up and went, oh, <laughs> this. <laughs> and I just, and I know part of that because so many books come in from publicists and publishers and so many of them go back out and um but then it was like your name oh wait and then I remember you on Instagram and then your book so all this thing all these things kind of came together you know so it's interesting because I've been talking to students about um being a good literary citizen mm. and, and people don't realize what what that can do for you. I mean, when I started my show, I remember having Carolyn C. and Ayelet Waldman. Um, and Carolyn C., who I've heard you say on this show, is the reason that you send notes to authors. Is that right. what you're going to say? I've, I've well, that, well, I was going to say that, but also <laughs> I asked them, because I want to talk to you about blurbs too, but I had asked them for blurbs. They had been on the show and then here comes Pen on Fire, and it's it's going to be published. And I think my agent might have said, do you know anybody, you know, that would give you a blurb? And so I asked these three authors, maybe more, that had never that I'd never met even, if they would give me a blurb. And they did. And <laughs> I thought, this is so interesting because I didn't have them on the show because I wanted anything from them. I wanted to just talk to them because... I like them. Right. But it was like being a good literary citizen. I wanted to, I started the show really to do that, to do something that I would enjoy that would help other writers. And, um, and then how it came back to me was really kind of interesting because it was never intentional. That's not why you're on the show. You know, I just want to talk to you, but just <laughs> being a good literary citizen. And there's so many ways of doing that. Right. I mean, there's so many ways of doing that. Um, but you obviously are one and, and know about that because you, you know, good things are happening mm. for you and your book. Thank you for saying that and for acknowledging that, because I think, I think that, um, I think that's absolutely right. I didn't want, I, I knew that if you in particular ever reached out to me, I, I, I needed to be pure. I didn't want to I didn't want you to feel like you had to or or anything like that. But everything that I have ever, every way that I've ever engaged with every author ever has been from a really genuine place as someone who just loves books. Books are the love of my life. And all of these authors that have, you know, created these incredible books. And, I, and now that I know what goes into something like that, it's like, they're just, they're just these tiny little miracles, each one of them. And I just really respect and admire anyone who tries it and anyone who pulls it off. Um, and I definitely had a lot, I've, I've yet to meet an unkind author. Um, every author that I have met in, in real life is extraordinarily supportive and, and kind. Um, and I've met a few. And when it came time for blurbs, I, mm -hmm. Um, was you terrible. have some great blurbs. I, I do, and I um, and that is such an awkward mm -hmm. thing to everybody knows. That. It's just so awkward. Um, luckily, all of the authors know that it's awkward because they've been there. Uh, but I I actually didn't have much notice, and then felt like I didn't have much time, and I needed to quickly reach out to some people. And I thought, okay, I'm here's my list. And if a third of them say yes, that's going to be amazing. And they literally all said yes. Um, I just couldn't couldn't believe it. Um, and now, then, were they authors? Are the authors that have blurbed your book have, were they people you'd been in contact with for some other reason, and you yes. did articles on them? I don't know. Yes, there are people that I have either, um, you know, done, yes, done articles on or met in some way or taken a class from or um, all of them except, except Luis Alberto Urea. I met him in a magical way. Um, 
but everyone else I had just you know met, met along the way um actually Nicholas Butler he he blurbed the book early so did Susan Gloss before I ever had a publishing contract at all they they just did it when I was still um, out with my agent and um and I did not know Nicholas Butler I had never um met him I, I approached him as a as a fan um yeah. And Susan Henderson was on the show with her. She has a her novel, um, Girl's Dreams. Yes, and and her characters have a mortuary. Right? Oh, yes, I loved that book so much. I, book. I remember where I was mid run listening to this show <laughs> when I heard her. Um, actually, in Minneapolis, running around one of the lakes, the Chain Lake there in the city, and I heard her read and. Um, you know, pull, pulled myself over on a bench and ordered her book. And, you know, that was one that I fell in love with too. My, my husband hates it. Like I'll, <laughs> there are certain books that I'll have to read him every third paragraph. I'm like, just wait, just wait, listen to this. You know, he doesn't want to hear it. Um, so, and hers was one of those. I just kept reading it aloud. Um, you know, talking about her, I remember she said something about how she'll write the whole chapter in her head while she's walking. And I'm wondering about you with running. Do you, does a lot come together when you're out there on the trail? It does. It does. Um, so I do have a, an app, a note, you know, a notes app that I'll speak into that is usually illegible when I get home and I don't really know what, I, you know, but I've tried to find some way to <laughs> capture um, those things that come a lot of sort of knotted up problems become untangled for me um, when I walk away from it. It's when I'm sitting there trying to force it that those knots get so much tighter, uh, but walking away. And I've heard that so many times on this show. Um, it seems to be something everyone has in common that is just like, go go out and touch some grass, get some air, right. um, you know, get away from it and it'll come back to you. Yeah. So, okay, so back to, I think we started talking about Patreon and that led to other things, but I wanted to ask you about the beginning of the book because I'm always curious, you know, I'm always asking writers about first pages and, and first chapters. And I want to ask you about yours and I'm thinking maybe read it, read the first couple of pages first and then we could talk about them. Sure. Um just read maybe these first three paragraphs. Um, sure. Lip Hansen could have made the walk to her husband's house by feel and sound alone, her eyes squeezed tight against the Wisconsin dusk. Three decades spent wearing a path between their separate homes made it all seem a part of her. The cool, slim trails of wet grass across her bare ankles as she cut across her yard, the dip of the ditch and the slipping pea gravel edging the county road. The chemical crunch of city sprayed thistles already forcing themselves up through the cracked asphalt at the plastics factory where they'd worked for ages until its sudden closing two years back. The way the air shifted ever so subtly once she hit town proper. Jack preferred driving the two mile stretch between their houses, but Liv almost always walked regardless of weather. On rare occasions, they walked together. She'd asked Jack once if he could feel that change in climate on the trek between their houses, rising now like bated breath cleaving her nightgown to her calves and thighs, her skin still sticky from the fear triggered by tonight's surprise visitor. No, Jack had answered. I think that's something you made up in that glorious mind of yours. Jack always told the truth, no matter if it's dumb. Poisonous anxiety surged through her as she darted past the rows of warehouses at the edge of Anthem and the newer jumbo cookie cutter houses tacked onto this end of town like an afterthought down to where the green ash and white oaks hovered over the older, more reasonably sized homes tucked closer together. Her guard had been down. She hadn't seen it coming, but now she felt the recognition sink in sharp and deep like a bone ache, as if the cancer she'd never had had come back. Mm, thank you. Yeah, that's such a nice opening. And um, as we know at this point, don't wait till page 50 to make it start happening, but have it happen on page one. So was this always your beginning? And um, did you like talk about, you know, the opening paragraphs and the, the first chapter and, and what sort of 
energy, I suppose, you put into creating these pages? So that first chapter, in the first chapter, um, you know, a, a man has just arrived on Lib's porch and she pretty quickly deduces that he's, he's about 40 and that this is the, this is the baby that she abandoned um, 40 years ago. And she um, has a rough go of it and tries to sleep, um, can't, and ends up putting a barn coat over a nightgown and, and walking to Jack's house. Um, at Jack's house, they sit and they have dinner and she sort of, he's happy. He's, he's kind of a stickler for the truth and just a jack of all trades, just a happy guy who likes his life the way it is, sees things pretty black and white. And um, she's been keeping a lot of things from him, a lot of things from herself, really. And um, she decides she's going to continue. She, in that first chapter, she makes the decision that she's going to continue keeping these things from him. Um, and the scene of Lib walking from her house to Jack's house and sitting at his table and having a meal together is the first scene I ever wrote for the book. Mm. So that is intact. What wasn't there yet was, um, you know, the, the man showing up on the porch, uh, the, the reason she's not very happy on that walk, you know, the fear and the anxiety that she's got, um, some of the interaction between Jack and Liv that involves um, Jack's friend who has just died, none of that was there uh, until much later. But, um, but that, you know, that moment between them of these, these two houses and these two people that are so connected, but so separate in ways they're both aware of and unaware of, um, that was the beginning always. Do you have tips for people, for writers who have trouble with interiority, getting that on the page? Because you're so good at it. Um, have you, is that, do you consider that a strength of your writing? Has that always been a strength? Um, that I think is a natural result of all of the years of, um, of my journalism. For, for, for 17 years now, it has been my job to ask people to explain themselves to me in a way that I can then explain them to you. Um, that's been my entire job, whether I was talking, you know, writing about the 10 new pizza places in town or, um, you know, some, some really serious issues, um, really trying to understand people um, without judgment uh, and then try to articulate it um, back and try to connect those dots and just the the things that I've had so much opportunity to see the ways in which we all experience the exact same circumstances differently you know something will happen and you you interview three different people about it and you get three completely different stories to me that's really interesting um Jack is someone who just is like no the truth is the truth and um I admit that my husband is is a lot like Jack in that way, and uh, we tend to go around and around about it because I'm like, well, I don't think so. The more I know and the more I talk to people, the more it seems like there's a lot of gray area here and how we all see things. So um, I will say to you about my husband that at one point while I was drafting, I asked him, so hypothetically speaking, if I were keeping a 40-year-old man in my basement, um, how long do you think it would take you to notice? <laughs> he very, you know, he's chewing his pizza, gave it very serious thought. And he said, I think about a month. So, <laughs> so that was, that was kind of the ticking, um, the ticking clock that I gave uh, Liv and Jack for, for a lot of this to, to come to a head. But um, I don't know. I, I think there are, there are a few professions where it is, you know, where you are essentially paid to try to understand mm -hmm. other people. Um, but there aren't that many. And I feel really lucky that, that that's been my job. Um, I feel like my, my life is richer for, you know, trying to understand other people. I mean, imagine if we were actually trying to understand each other. And you, you know, what's going on here, though, in your book is you have it, it's such a nice balance between the 
the narrative and um, the scenes. I mean, the dialogue comes in when you need it. I mean, just as it should, it's not, there's not talking heads, which is so easy to, to, you know, fall into. So the interiority is balancing out um, the scenes and the, you know, the dialogue and that scene, there, there's definitely an art to that because, you know, it's kind of hard to get it right for most of us. Thank you. It's not it's not easy. I don't think for any of us, but I guess that was one of the benefits of so much rejection is the opportunity <laughs> to keep trying to get it right. And, you know, going back for yet another just one more pass where you're getting rid of every extra adverb and, you know, really, you know, interrogating each sentence and making sure that it has earned its right to be there. Um, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, and just reading, 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 reading. I just well, who are your influences? Oh gosh, I'm always afraid of this question. Um, how about how about just name a couple, not necessarily your favorites, but just a couple. Influences, it's interesting. Like I'll be blown away by some authors, right? Where you read something and you're like, I've never read anything like this, and this is right. nothing I could ever do, and I need to quit right now. Um, you know, and I, there are a handful of books that have sort of blown my mind in that way. Um, are you a rereader? Do you reread? No. No? I'm not a rereader very often. I also actually struggle to retain things. So um, I think, I think of myself more like a, this is kind of gross, but kind of more like a compost pile. And so it's all just kind of going in and then I don't really know exactly how it's coming out because I can't always articulate, articulate it very well. Um, but I just, you know, I'm moved in the moment by, by so many books, um, so many writers. And then there, are, you know, growing up, there are just like, I think I most appreciated writers I saw as accessible. You know, it wasn't, I wasn't as intimidated necessarily. I was just, I just felt seen and I felt, um, you know, just inspired. And, and, you know, I mean, we're talking like Judy Bloom and, and Elizabeth Berg and um, Anita Shreve. I loved Anita Shreve's books. Um, and um, yeah, Anne River Siddons. I mean, when in my like 20s, I read every single Anne Riverson, but I don't know what it was about, about mm -hmm. her stuff that I just, um, I did read, I think, Colony multiple times. <laughs> you know, so I just, I just love everything. I, I really do. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to talk about Goodreads or reviews a little bit because um, are you able to gauge the usefulness of reviews like on Goodreads or Amazon or wherever? Uh, and, and how, in terms of social media, like what do you do? What do you feel like you enjoy doing? And, and are you pressured by the press to do anything, to be out there? And um, yeah, there's a few questions kind of piled in there. I'm terrified of reviews. Um, so in some ways, because I can remember years ago being a little careless with my own reviews, you know, of just as a reader, just being like, oh, I don't know. I didn't really, you know, buy it that that person would have done that in chapter three, three stars, you know, um, <laughs> just really kind of. And so I know that if that's me as a, as a book lover, like, ugh. so once I kind of understood just the role that reviews play and really understood that there was another person on the other end of those reviews always. Um, I just, I just kind of hate them. Honestly, I just kind of hate them. Um, you, you get like great reviews. Well, thank you. I mean, I, uh, um, so far, <laughs> I think, I think, um, it's scary for me. I don't, I don't know. It's like with, with my journalism, you know, if you don't like it, it's, 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 you know, it stings a little, but it's not personal. It's like, well, that's what happened. You know, I didn't like that that happened either, but it happened. Um, whereas with this, you know, with fiction, it's just like, oh, you didn't like it. <laughs> um, so that's hard. I, I think there has been no, no pressure at all from my press. You know, it's a, it's a academic press. It's smaller. Um, and they actually don't do that. Um, they don't, they don't send out, they didn't send out 
um, arcs and galleys and you know things to get reviews or anything that none nothing like that was sent out to like readers mm -hmm. um, and so it hasn't cast a, you know they didn't cast a wide net in terms of just like reader reviews at all um, so it is it is uh, it is can, this is can you see I've struggled the most with this question it is um, <laughs> I want to be a person who does not read comments on my articles or reviews on my book. Period. Mm -hmm. I I really admire people who can avoid that um, because I am I am the person who um, will take that one. You know, right. ten lovely things, and then there's that one, and right. I'm just like, oh, maybe you're right. Maybe I should have never even tried. You know. <laughs> well, you can always squint. What I have done. <laughs> is I will look um, sometimes and then I'll kind of squint. And if I see something with like less than four stars, I just squint past it and then, you know, read because <laughs> I don't want to read it. I don't want to know what it is, but then I'll read, you know, look at the four and the five stars. Oh, okay. I can, I can open my eyes. Oh, wait, close your eyes a little bit. Um, That's yeah. a good tip. I've also tried, um, I will go to a writer I know is brilliant, you know, just one of my absolute favorites. And I will go and find their one and two star reviews and read those. And then I'll be reminded. You'll that, be okay. Yeah. That people don't know, you know, it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's probably best not to read them, actually read them at all. I yeah. completely agree. I just, I wish that I, I don't know. Yeah. I hope that I was going to be one of those people, but so far not. So we have a few minutes left and there was something, oh, I wanted to get back to, you submitted this to University of Wisconsin Press and right before that you were with your agent. And so then did you break from your agent and then decide you were going to just do it yourself or how did, what happened when, when you weren't satisfied with what your agent was doing? Um, well, I mean, we, she's an absolute <clears throat> legend she's a wonderful person and and um she's very happy for me um she's been nothing but lovely about this and so we don't it, it's not a a bridge burned or anything like that but um we just i think i'm i'm grateful that she um you know spent as much time as she did you know agents don't agents don't make any money uh, until right. they sell the book right. so, um you know she was i think especially that that first i think her falling in love with the book the way that she did really had an impact on me, you know, just in terms of my own confidence and my own ability to just keep going and keep trying and keep revising, like knowing that this person who had so much experience believed in this book, um, that was huge. And so I would, um, I would like to, I would like to find that again. Um, because of that for me, that is, this is the hardest job because you just you have to keep going when there's no guarantee that it's ever going to get anywhere like that's mm -hmm. you're not making any money and you're not and and no one is you know waiting on the other end I don't have a two book contract or anything like that so it's like how do you find that faith every morning and so the people that actually really do believe even if it doesn't end up you know in a in a contract somewhere um, it still has just such a such a profound effect on my ability to keep going and keep the faith. Yeah. I'm curious why, I mean, most writers, when they start writing fiction, they work on short stories. And I'm curious why you went directly to the novel. I mean, that's a really good question. I, um, I took a short story class after, after I'd written the novel. Um, I think it was a week long class taught by Christopher Chambers, who's a wonderful short story writer. And I thought it was really hard. Um, I don't know. I, I think longer articles are easier to write than shorter articles. I don't know if they're related, but to me, the short story is, is a completely different form. Um, it just has a whole different set of rules and I don't know those rules. Um, and they didn't, they didn't come easily to me when I was trying. And um, I just, I mean, it's just a really, it's cool. I mean, I, I admire it and, and I like knowing that it's out there for, for me to um, try to get better at. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I, I guess I did it a little bit backwards. Um, 
but the novel made more sense to me. There's that Mark Twain quote. Isn't Mark Twain? I think I've talked about it before. Where he 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 said, "Sorry for the long letter, but I didn't have time to write a short one." Yes, yes. <laughs> I know when I was when I was first starting out at the at um, Madison Magazine, I had written a feature story. And then my second assignment was for a 175 word blurb of some kind. And later that editor told me um, when I started to get get more work from her, she told me it was that 175 words. She's like, anybody can write 4,000 words, but that, but it's very difficult to write 175 words. Yeah, yeah, it is. So, well, we are getting to the end of our time and uh, you know what happens at the end, we say, <laughs> Any advice for the writers listening? Any tips, any pearls of wisdom that you can offer that maybe we didn't talk about? Boy, I am afraid of advice, but I know that I've heard you say a lot of times, stay in the chair. And I'm definitely not, um, you know, qualified to give, give advice, give writing advice, but I have, I am qualified to comment on the, you know, hundreds of episodes that I've of other um, authors on the show and giving their advice. And it's almost always persistence, staying in the chair, you keep going um, and walking away from it. The, those two things, I feel like I hear everybody say. Um, I, and then, yeah, finding that faith and finding what works for you and believing in it instead of being swayed by um, all the other junk that that your head gets filled up with. Um, I really wish that I had that writing that first draft so quickly, I wish that I could keep doing that. I think it's great to spend five years on a book. I'm doing, <laughs> I'm doing it again. Um, but this time I have not I'm spending five years trying to get through that first draft because I'm just such a, uh, my head is just so full of all the things that I know now that I didn't know before in the not good way. So um, if I could give myself advice, it would be to get that first draft out so that you can, you know, really the real work can begin on, on the book. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just really be able to get out of your way and, and um, just get it out, know what you're working with instead of critiquing it like crazy it to death yes yeah. Yeah. yeah which is or inviting too many people in to critique it um that first draft i think i i uh i need to be more protective of and just mm -hmm. burn through it and then start working but keep going i mean that's what i tell everybody keep going mm -hmm. that's what i tell myself it's good advice i take a long time too i take too long so. Is it too long? I mean, say. Well, yeah, is it too long? Who knows? I mean, but then, because the great thing about writing fast is that you're probably the same person as you were when you started the draft, when you finish it. Whereas if you take a really, really long time, it's like you change, your taste maybe change a little, what you're reading changes and you go, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not a crime novel. Maybe it's a literary novel with a little bit of hint of something dark and, or maybe it's, you know, and you keep changing your idea, right? Of what, what is it? You lose interest. Um, you know, I don't know how many things hold your interest for that long, but you know, that's, that's one of the benefits of getting that first draft out is that you have not lost interest in it, you know, right. while you still make something of it. Whereas if you're dragging it out, it's yeah, you're a different person five years down the road and your interests have changed. Yeah. Well, I so appreciate you coming on the show and talking about Still True. I have to show the arc again because people <laughs> not look at the top part and just look at the cover. I'll because send you a finished copy. <laughs> I so appreciate you having me on. You yeah. know that I, I just, it's surreal for me. Absolutely. Quite nice. Quite wonderful. And your book is wonderful. So uh, thank you for writing it. Thank you for reading it. And everyone out there, thank you for listening and thank you to our Patreon supporters who keep us going. When we were at the radio station, we were at the radio station from 1998 to 2021, the beginning of 2021. And every six months we did a huge, massive fund drive. And that's how we kept the lights on there. And so Patreon, now that we're away from the station, 
Patreon is a way to help us to keep doing what we're doing. So we appreciate whatever our patrons throw our way. And I want to thank Travis Barrett, who does our music design, and he has an album, an album's worth of typewriter music on Spotify, free for you. So look up Just My Type. If you want to get in touch with me, email me at penonfire at earthlink.net. Uh, the website is penonfire.com. Marie Stone is at mariestone at gmail.com. And Travis Barrett is at travisbarrettcreative at gmail. Thank you for listening. And in the meantime, stay in the chair. Thank you.